This is the Visit the Zoo podcast, episode number 78. Today we hear 13 tips for visiting national parks, and we hear about the platypus. Hello and welcome everybody to another episode of the Visit the Zoo podcast and I am your host. My name is Frederick Fishman and I'm the author of the 12 book 120 animal Visit the Zoo series of Kindle books and print books, audiobooks, DVD and also a new Animal Central subscription website which will be coming very soon. I would say probably within a week or less. And you can look at a preview of the Animal Central subscription website by going to the website, the placeholder website we've got at animalscentral.net. That's animals as plural, animalscentral.net. And if you're interested in any merch or gear from everything that's Visit the Zoo and also Animal Central, why don't you check out our merch and gear site at Zooswear, Z-O-O-Z-W-E-A-R dot com. Okay, let's say we get started. I ran across this article about national parks. This is from the Tribune News Service, and and there's 13 different suggestions that they have of how you can enjoy and navigate the national parks that you'll probably be going to this summer. So let me just read these off to you, and you may want to keep them in mind. The first thing is probably the most important, and that is about the wildlife. The wildlife is in its natural habitat. They're unpredictable. And as many animals follow migration patterns or adjust to their movements to weather conditions, you have to be careful. All I can say is the animals are wild, and this is not a zoo. I've had two encounters, one at Grand Canyon National Park, when the cute little squirrels come running up to you and begging for food, and you want to stay away from them because they are the most dangerous animal in the Grand Canyon. They're even more dangerous than the mountain lion or the bears or anything else, and that's because they carry bubonic plague. The other encounter we had was at Yellowstone, walked out of our cabin, and and there was a 2,000-pound buffalo. Now, buffalo can run 35 miles per hour when they get up ahead of steam, and they'll just mow you down, so you got to be careful. The second tip for going to a national park is you got to call the park before setting out. You got to make sure that the weather conditions are correct for you, because they can vary. Fast, unexpected changes in the atmosphere can also be common, so you may want to check out the weather there. And remember, the national parks are more popular than ever. In 2018, American national parks saw more than 300 million visitors. That's pretty incredible. Number four, you can make reservations for campsites. You can make reservations for campsites in some national parks, though many offer campsites on a first-come, first-served basis. So keep that in mind. And number five, you don't need to rough it. You don't have to go out there, you know, with a blanket and a pillow and wish for the best. There are different accommodations that you can get and you can always get a hot shower and a comfy bed. So check that out. And number six, what to pack? Well, number one is hiking boots. You're going to need a good pair of shoes. Flip-flops, it's just not going to do it. You should also be sure that you carry sunscreen with you, a hat, a sun shield of some type for your clothing. I'd cover your arms and neck if 
possible because you're going to be out there in the sun. Carry incense repellent, first aid kit, rain poncho, compass, waterproof phone case, a dry bag, fanny pack, whatever things that you need to make yourself comfortable. Number seven, be sure to book your lodging in advance. And I mean way in advance. During the high season, hotels at Popular Parks book up months in advance. So do yourself a favor, reserve your room as soon as possible. Number eight, number eight, cell service may be spotty. There are many parks where you don't get a cell signal. Even in well-connected national parks, you might be looking at about a 50% cell phone coverage. You can't rely on that, which means you can't rely on your GPS. So take one of the maps at the visitor center. Number nine, prepare your car. Make sure that all of the levels are up to the top and your tires are properly inflated. Although national parks are often associated with road trips, you may want to step outside of your vehicle upon arriving and make sure that everything is in good shape. Number 10, and take safety seriously. Backcountry hikers and campers must take the park's safety guidelines as gospel, no matter what level of experience that you have. Be sure to tell the park rangers or sign in the log if you're headed out into the wilderness or if you plan to be there for a night or two. Number 11, avoid off-roading. Despite what SUV ads might have you believing, you likely won't be able to careen across the wild landscape of a national park. Number 12, bring your dog. That's right. Many national parks allow dogs, and some even have kennels. The caveat is that they have to be leashed at all times for their safety and the well-being of the wildlife, and you must clean up after them. And finally, number 13, it's cheaper than you think. The majority of national parks don't charge an admission fee. Those that do, such as Bryce and Arches, offer free admission on five days. So keep those in mind. And I've just got one more thing that I want to tell you about the National Park, just to give you some numbers of how many people visit these parks. And these are the top 10 parks and the annual visitation at each one. Number one is the Great Smoky National Park. That has a annual visitation of 11.421 million. Grand Canyon, 6.3 million. Rocky Mountain National Park, 4.5 million. Zion, 4.3 Yellowstone, 4.1. Yosemite, 4 million people visit Yosemite annually. In Acadia, up in Maine, 3.5. Grand Teton National Park in Wyoming, just south of Yellowstone, has a population of 3.5 million. Olympic National Park up in the northwest, the far northwest, 3.1 million. And finally, Glacier National Park has a visitation of 2.9 million. So if you're going out to National Park, have a great time. You will enjoy the beauty and the scenery. It's some of the memories that you'll make, you'll never forget. And, and finally, let me give you the five curated content stories that you can pick up and read. These are five stories that I've curated for you and, and put in. The blog at vtzlife.com. You can grab the links to these five stories there. Or you can go to zooanimals.info and in the description you'll see links to these five stories. The first one is what animal rights activists forget. Number two, how technology is improving the lives of animals. Number three, if you see a wild baby animal alone, don't move it. Number four, Nothing to fear. How humans and other intelligent animals might ruin the autonomous vehicle utopia. And number five, some students with emotional support animals say they don't feel supported at NU's 
residential services. So those are the five curated stories. Again, you can look at them or get links to them, and then you can look at them at vtzlife.com or go to zooanimals.com. Look at the description for this episode number 78, and you will see the links to these five stories. Well, it's animal description time, and and I don't know what to tell you about this animal. I I learned so many new and strange things about it. It's the platypus. It's something we don't see here in North America, and you don't see it in too many places in the world. Let me just tell you a little bit about the platypus, which kind of looks like a a beaver with a a mouth or a snout that's flattened out. It looks like a dinner plate. The platypus, or sometimes it's called a duck-billed platypus, They live in a very small corner of our world in the eastern regions of Australia and offshore in the Australian island of Tasmania. They are the only mammal that lays eggs rather than gives live birth. They are beaver-tailed and have otter-like feet, and they prefer the water. Now, this is very interesting about them. They are venomous, and only one of a few mammals on Earth that are venomous. They have a spur on their hind foot that can deliver venom that is very painful to humans. Platypus was once hunted for their fur, but now they are protected and they are the symbol of Australia and they're not under immediate threat. They were first encountered in Australia by Europeans in 1798 and the first descriptions were so odd and the way they looked, people thought there was a hoax back then. But the flat bill and the odd attributes and they've got a sound that's like a low grunt or growl and let me just play a short clip for you to you can hear what they sound like that's it that's the platypus they weigh about 1.5 to 5 pounds. The males are larger than the females, and they're about 20 inches in length. The females are about 17 inches in length. Back to their, their venom. Their venom can kill small animals like dogs and cats and other small creatures. It's painful to humans, and that pain can persist for weeks and even months. They have sensors on the end of their snout that detect electrical signals. They're semi-aquatic, they live in small streams and rivers, and they're excellent swimmers. They're warm-blooded, and they have a body temperature of about 90 degrees. They eat worms, larvae, freshwater shrimp, crayfish, and they're eaten by snakes, rats, owls, hawks, and eagles. They spend about 12 hours per day looking for food. Their oldest fossil dates back 100,000 years during the Quaternary period. They're a relative of creatures who once lived in South America, which was once part of the continent, the grand continent of Gondwana. 167 million years ago, that's when they lived. Today, they live about 17 years max, normally 11 years or somewhere in between. They are kept in small numbers in conservation programs for study and also protection, but they are surviving nicely so far in the wild. So that's a little bit about the platypus. All right. Are you ready for some more pain and suffering? This is a portion of the podcast where I usually read a poem about the animals 
and sometimes I read some jokes. So if you have a high pain tolerance for suffering, here are some more animal jokes. How can you tell if there's an elephant in your dessert? Your ice cream is lumpy. What did the dog do when a man-eating tiger followed him? Nothing. It was a man-eating tiger, not a dog-eating one. Who was the gorilla's favorite American president? Abraham Lincoln. When you catch your dog eating a dictionary, what should you do? Take the words right out of his mouth. What do you do with a green elephant? Wait, it ripens. What does a dog become after it's six years old? Seven years old. That is so stupid. What dog can jump higher than a tree? Any dog can jump higher than a tree. Trees don't jump. What mouse was a Roman emperor? Julius Caesar. Again, that's Julius Caesar. What eats dog food lives in a dog house and is very dangerous? A dog with a machine gun. What kind of letters did the snake get from his admirers? Fang letters. What is black and white and red all over? A Dalmatian with a bad sunburn. What should you do if you find a jaguar sleeping in your bed? Sleep on the sofa. And finally, our last joke. What do you get if you cross a woodpecker with a carrier pigeon? A bird who knocks before delivering its message. All right, is the pain subsiding? Sorry about that, I but I just can't help myself. Well, that's a wrap for today's episode number 78 of the Visit the Zoo podcast. And I want to thank you very much for joining me today. And as always, subscribe, rate, and review wherever and however you listen to this podcast on iTunes or wherever you pick it up. And be sure to check out our Teaser Explainer website for our new Animal Central subscription site, which is coming soon. And you can find that at animalscentral.net. That's animals, plural, animalcentral.net, where you'll find all kinds of information about what to expect on this brand new site. Again, thank you very much for joining me. I hope you join me again next week for another episode of Visit the Zoo. Bye for now.